0: Hey guys, Cable here, and this week's podcast is brought to you by Scoped Vision. Y'all probably know of Phone Scope by now, right? It's that technology that allows you to hook up an adapter to your cell phone and then place that on your spotting scope or binos, and you can record what you're seeing through your optic. Well, Scoped Vision is the evolution of that technology, and now you can actually record your hunt through your rifle scope. You've got an adapter, it attaches to your scope, and you record right there with your cell phone. It's awesome. It's Scoped Vision. You can find it at Phonescope.com If I
1: were a painter I'd talk into posing nude Yeah, then you get paid to lay around all day and let me look at you Now, if I were a hit man, I'd take you Good morning, good
0: morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. That's a good buddy, Zane Williams, kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors show. I am what I am. I tell you what, Zane's on to something there. Too bad I don't have an artistic bone in my body, or I would uh, I try to talk my wife into laying around nude and letting me paint a picture of her. I ain't kidding you. <laughs> uh, but she knows these hands are void of any kind of artistic capability whatsoever they're more suited for uh doing things in the great outdoors and putting meat on the table which i guess for her has some kind of uh, appeal some kind of turn on anyway <laughs> so it's not all bad thing right uh, but anyway love that tune there from our good buddy zane Williams. And zane and i went on our i think we did we went back through the years our first turkey hunt together was like seven years ago and we went out this past weekend and well, not weekend during the week, cause uh, these musician types they can't they can't hunt on the weekends. Are you kidding me? They're they're gigging. So we went, I think Tuesday and Wednesday, put in three good hunts, and uh, as our luck always seems to go, Zane and I never even heard a gobble. So and you know you look at the trail camera pictures of this property, boom turkeys everywhere every day. But no, Zane, pure bad luck. But I love hanging out with him. Played some new music for us, by the way, uh, around the uh, well, at the, uh, the camp there. So y'all can find that on my uh, YouTube channel, also on Instagram TV. A brand new tune that has not been released, and I don't even think he's played it at a live show yet. So check that out. Uh, I'm your host, Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. You know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee. Because we're talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies. And off the top, we're going to break down perhaps the most disturbing piece of anti-hunting, anti-conservation legislation ever introduced. And I'm referencing the Cecil Act here. Uh, and uh, Corey and I will dive into that in great detail. Spend a couple segments on it because it has wide-reaching implications that could negatively impact conservation and the future of species, both foreign and domestic, especially when it comes to big game, which everyone seems to be so passionate about on both sides of the fence. Uh, So we'll break that down coming up in just a a minute. And then we will spend uh, a little bit of time visiting with Ethan West, young man who is, uh, well, he recently did the Appalachian Trail. And as we speak, he's enjoying his next adventure, which started somewhere near Telephone, Texas at the headwaters of the Llano River, and will dump him out 500 miles later in the Gulf of Mexico. He's doing it all in a kayak. Uh, take him about six weeks, I believe, is is what he estimated. So uh, he's in the, uh, I guess he's towards the end of that experience, but he will check in with us live from a river somewhere in Texas don't even know where Uh, but I'm certainly looking forward to that the things that he's seen and done the gear that he has used on this adventure are all things that pique my interest so looking forward to checking in with Ethan West here in just a little bit that's what's on the docket for today Uh, one other thing to mention let's do a quick giveaway Uh, today we've got a what do we have here Uh, A Lone Star Ag Credit, Yeti Cooler, a Lone Star Ag Credit, 24-can soft pack cooler from Frio Coolers, a Lone Star Ag Credit cap, and a dog bowl, which this thing folds up, and it's what I take dove hunting with Bell. It's just an easy, transportable dog bowl from Lone Star Ag Credit. The whole package, all you need to do is email the word today let's do conservation email the word conservation to lonestaroutdoorshow at gmail.com and we'll get you entered into the Lone Star ag credit prize pack uh bell's favorite dog bowl so anyway um let's take a quick break we've got a lot to get into today i'm really looking forward to dissecting the cecil bill with dsc executive director Corey mason after the break Right here on the Lone Star Wii Let a lonely, lonely
1: that I travel
0: Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Curl does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 today.
1: Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's, once again, the number one Polaris dealer in Texas.
0: County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.GoldenTriangleWhitetail.com today.
2: There I go thinking about you again Watching where you are and where you've been And where you're going It's been hard to let you go Now I'm wishing on a shooting star
0: I'm on your mind wherever you are I hope it ain't that far Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show That's Mason Lively, Hard to Let Go Uh, Thank you, guys and gals, for being here today as we are rocking and rolling, about to take on perhaps the most disturbing bit of legislation that I've ever seen proposed. Uh, This is the CECIL bill that I'm referring to here, sponsored by Arizona Congressman Grijalva, and we will discuss that with DSC's Executive Director, Corey Mason. But before we do that, I want to remind you about the First Light Corrugate Guide Short. It is the Guide Pants Little Brother, and especially for spring and summer, it's about, well, it is actually the most comfortable piece of clothing I own, from the turkey woods to out on the lake chasing crappie to the bar where you're celebrating, punching your tag on a big gobbler or high in over uh, limits of crappie. Whatever the case, the Corrigan Guide Short has you covered, and you can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. Well... Uh, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest today, longtime friend of the show, uh, someone who I always enjoy visiting with on a myriad of topics. Today's no exception. It's my pleasure to welcome Dallas Safari Club Executive Director Corey Mason back to the show.
1: Thanks for the opportunity to visit today. Yeah, you
3: bet. So uh, what does your spring generally consist of at the helm of DSC? It seems like this would be... T- tend to be the slow time of the year for you. I, I don't know if you're doing any international travel right now. I gosh, you're always heading over to Africa. You, I think you what, were just in Canada recently as well, but have things slowed down at all?
1: You know, I'd love to tell you that my spring was full of uh, chasing crappie and striped bass <laughs> and turkeys and all that, but that would be a lie. <laughs> it's uh, just as much time spent on the airplane uh, as any other time of the year. Like you mentioned, I just returned from British Columbia uh, regarding their uh, Guide Outfitters Association of British Columbia and meeting with their Parliament uh, representatives and uh, actually in fact in just a few days I leave for Namibia for CIC meeting. Oh wow! They're meeting with uh, international delegates.
3: <laughs> so no time for turkeys, that's for sure.
1: No time. <laughs> oh,
3: goodness gracious! I was looking back on my website, Corey. It's funny. I think you are about as regular a guest as we've you know as we've had over the years. And that, that goes back to uh, your days with Texas Parks and Wildlife. And so I just I Googled your name on my own website. I was just looking looking it up. And our first interview was August 2010, and it was titled "Texas Dove Hunting and Hank Williams III." So uh, <laughs> the show's changed a lot over that time frame. Uh, some That's people, good yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, it's great to have you back on. Um, a lot has changed since then for both of us. And also for this climate that we're in and existing in as a hunting community. You know, nine years ago, Facebook existed. Uh, Instagram certainly hadn't come on to the scene yet. And it's clear that, you know, antis have cranked up the heat on us more so than ever. And all you have to do is look at this current uh, legislative session. We've not only got the CESO bill, which we'll get into, Corey, but um, had someone on from uh, the Sportsman's Alliance on recently and we talked about these sweeping bills across the country that are designed to attack predator hunting, uh, coyote contests, even some of, them, uh, some of them like tethering bills for guys who have uh, run hounds, you know. All of this stuff designed just to attack hunting. And it's not about coyotes at the end of the day or anything else. It's just aimed at stopping hunting. And it's piece by piece, inch by inch. Um, but yeah, it's it's changed for the worse, I fear over the the time that we've been doing this.
1: It has, you know, and I tell you, I mean, we can just look over the last year alone and we can look all across the United States. I mean, we have federal legislation or imposed legislation, I should say rather, uh, that hopefully will be unsuccessful. But, you know, we look at, and even actions in which states that do surprise me, you know, we look at we look at New Jersey where we have the governor there that, uh, that self-imposed his authority, uh, tried to kill the black bear hunting in the state, wasn't mm-hmm. able to do so, so then he restricted it, did not allow it on... Uh, public land. Uh, then we, we move out uh, down to, to Louisiana, where we have a representative there at the state level that's trying to move black bear, a highly successful restoration effort in Louisiana and Florida uh, for black bears, trying to move that to the endangered species list to afford protection of a species that has been fully recovered, where it, it should be celebrated. And now they're trying to do these kinds of antics. We look mm-hmm. at grizzly bear in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, in which one federal judge completely superseded the power of the states, as well as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I mean, so there are multiple attacks uh, that are happening right now, uh, like you say, from from the anti-hunting organizations that are well organized. You know, they're they're very efficient in what they do. Unfortunately.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in a state like Nevada, which uh, I think uh, I think Nevada has a rich hunting outdoor heritage, Western kind of, you know. Um, yep. And they're trying to make it a felony if you participate in any kind of. Uh, Contest where a coyote is killed, like felony, like you know, that's manslaughter, rape, uh, that kind of, it's the same kind of crime, and that's what they want. They want to put you away for for killing a coyote.
1: Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes no sense. Obviously, you know, the anti-hunter organizations have have realized that science has always been on the side of the of the community of the hunting community because again, it's a self-regulated, sustainable community. So science has always shown that this particular, the conservation through hunting model, is sustainable. And in the cases in which species have moved below levels in which they should not be hunted, the very first person on the line that says do not hunt that is always the hunter, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the anti-hunting community now has moved towards legislation and these emotional, infactual issues as well. And they have very effectively uh, just absolutely provided as much misinformation as possible. Uh, They're... And they don't. They don't play by any moral handbook as well, and so it's very unfortunate.
3: Well, and, and now we've got this CISO bill, and it's. Uh, it was introduced by Congressman Raúl Grijalva, I think is his name. Does he have a history of of previous anti-hunting legislation that he's tried to sponsor?
1: He does, uh, and over the last several years, he has uh, introduced a number of bills associated with. Uh, with cats uh... and very specifically the bill that we see right now in front of us called the cecil act uh... very similar versions and nearly identical versions in fact have been introduced over the last uh, few years uh... but you know uh... to the point that you made earlier cable is the fact that three years ago and today today's political environment is very different than it was just a handful of years ago in fact in which uh... You know these these decisions. It seems like are not being made on science. Again, they're being made on emotion, and by those that do not have any knowledge or practice and principles of under associated with wildlife management. So, we can't take any of these bills for granted that they will you know die on the vine, if you will. So, this bill is similar to what's been introduced in the past, but it becomes more and more of a reality the more it's introduced and the more supporters that it has with
3: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's alarming. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah. talk a little bit about how this bill is written. Um, a lot of these bills are, are written so vaguely that that's really the scary yeah. thing. Uh, I don't know. This one seems just after watching, you've got a four-minute uh, video on DSC's YouTube channel, uh, which it seems like there's some very pointed uh, you know, thoughts that have been outlined in this bill, which after watching the video, I mean, none of them make any sense at all.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, but even to start with, just the moniker of the bill, you know, with this acronym that, that is derived, the Conserving Ecosystems by Ceasing the Importation of Large Animal Trophies Act. Clearly, that was very cleverly determined to come up with the acronym for Cecil. clearly that name line that was, uh, that was harvested a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, so that sort of paints the picture in my mind alone of really what the intent of the bill is and kind of high level, and then maybe we can get into some specifics. But A couple of things that are associated with it is it completely undermines the authority of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, specifically by implying that they are not doing due diligence and associated science evaluating the components of a positive enhancement finding. And by that, really what that means is that it is a requirement to show that the hunting of TNE species around the world, we can use elephant as the polarizing example, Mm -hmm. The US Fish and Wildlife Service essentially requires the burden of proof to show that by hunting X number of said elephants, that that offtake benefits the overall management and populations of elephants in that associated country uh, in the past. And now it's within a hunting concession or a unit, which again represents hundreds of thousands of acres in most cases. Uh, But this bill is written to undermine that and essentially say that the Fish and Wildlife Service is not doing that now. And in fact, they want to take that authority from the Fish and Wildlife Service and essentially uh, basically give it over to this office, in which probably no one's heard of, the Government Accountability Office, and require them to do a study to determine if international hunting is a positive benefit to wildlife species, as the hunting community and the Fish <laughs> and Wildlife Service have said that it is for decades and decades and decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's sort of one of the very first underlying, but you're really, really important tenants, And and another is this, uh, that, that, that I outlined in that video that you referred to, is the fact that, essentially the desire, if a species is considered to be proposed, but it's not TNE, uh, threatened or endangered, listed at this point in time, uh, that that species be considered that. Uh, so essentially what that means is if a species is considered for that, then it would be on that list, essentially, possibly forever, with no way to work it off. and Some of that is sort of a failed recognition of what the Endangered Species Act is. The Endangered Species Act is there as a tool to recover species, to restore them, range-wide in some cases, or isolated population-wise in some others, but to restore them to a self-sustaining population uh, based on environmental threats or other worldly threats as well. Uh, This essentially fails to recognize that and essentially tries to make a broad sweeping play at removing the opportunity for those species to be managed using those very effective mechanisms. I mean, you look at the black rhino as the epitome of the conservation success story of being managed that way. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's another example of one of the things that's outlined in this, um, and one of the things that really speaks to it, and it's at the very tail end of the act here, of the the proposed bill. Uh, Again, another one, some nuances associated with who pays for this and who pays for that. but another one is the the elimination of the international wildlife conservation council which was a council that was uh, built at the time or established i should say probably rather uh, by secretary of the, In- uh, the interior zinke at the time to again to further work with the u.s fish and wildlife service other foreign countries to clearly determine the impact uh, local impact as well as global impact of international hunting international management of these species and so in this, this particular representative has has literally taken the ability to manage these species. Uh, it's trying to take it away from the uh, from those countries, if you will, and remove authority uh, an ultimate uh, authority from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and put it in again. This uh, some of these things that people have never heard heard of, the Government Accountability Office study, and it's it's just one more theme of someone that's that's clearly not relying on science to manage wildlife species, and secondarily, there was never a thought or question that was asked to an African country to ask them what they need to manage their wildlife. Hmm. It's very enforcement.
3: Well, not just Africa. I mean, I'm thinking like, so with the vague nature of of, uh, the way this bill's written, like what if I want, I'm going to Canada in uh, October to do a a moose hunt with one of our great vendors, um, Arlok Outfitters, come to the DSC show every year. What if I, you know, what if they, because of the vague nature of this bill, they said, no, you can't bring your moose back into the United States.
1: Yeah, it could be anything, right? It could be a... It's too big.
3: uh, That's the thing they like to have. Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Or black bear or whatever. Anything. A caribou. Jeez. Okay.
1: That's exactly right, and it and it's very sweeping and it's very broad and it's broad on purpose to the point that you raised earlier, cable. It's broad, so then many things could be tucked under it or implied, associated with the intent, associated with it. You know, and, and again, those species that are proposed to be listed to be treated as TNE species, I mean, it just that simply makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, and again, associated with importing uh, trophies, associated with the, essentially a positive enhancement in which public notice associated with each one of these and which what, what that would allow was the absolute complete bogging down of the process in the sense of appeal, public comment, reposting public comment and essentially at that point government would just absolutely screech to a halt or it would continue in the sense that nothing would ever move and that's clearly one of the tactics from these kinds of organizations that have clearly moved this through this particular congressman of the fact that things would essentially just be bogged down in the court system and would never move.
3: Mm. That's kind of how I feel about my bontebuck, but that's a whole other different story. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, the same I thing it. is, yep. you know, South Africa says, hey, these are recovered. You can get a special permit and hunt one if you want to. And I can't get it back to the United States because why? Well, it's bogged down in court, you know.
1: Yep. And uh, that's,
3: and that's what they do is they raise money. Well, I'm not saying him specifically, Congressman G- Grijalva. But anti-hunting organizations uh, raise money to basically lock up the courts. And that's that's their entire goal is to make it so inconvenient for us that we just don't want to deal with it anymore.
1: Yep. And you can look at the organizations that quote-unquote support this bill. And supposedly there's 10 listed associated with it. Uh, and it's essentially the Center for Biological Diversity, an anti-hunting organization, and mm-hmm. obviously the Humane Society, which is uh, the most outrageous of all of the anti-hunting organizations. And so, yeah, so clearly there's – there may be some personal answers from the congressman, but it's very clear to, to, to see the intent of this and who sponsored these or who moved this particular types of legislation forward. It is clear the anti-hunting community. It's not about wildlife conservation. If it were about wildlife conservation, those stakeholders, the resources themselves, and those with the most local knowledge associated with it, to your point, it could be an Asian country, it could be Pakistan, it could be Tajikistan, it could be uh, Angola, Africa, it could be Kamchatka, Russia, it could be anywhere in the world those stakeholders would have you know, buy-in, if you will, within this. And this is not. This is broad-sweeping legislation from someone in the United States that is trying to manage international wildlife conservation.
0: <laughs> Which is a total slap in the face to anyone in wildlife management in the United States or elsewhere. It's absolutely asinine. Uh, Corey, certainly enjoying the conversation. We do need to work in a quick break, however. Are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes?
1: I'd be happy to. Thank you.
0: Perfect, and that segment of the show brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. Uh, Hey, if you're looking for the perfect situation to introduce your kids to hunting, this is what I did last year. I put the big chingone on my uh, Wichita Falls deer lease. Took the entire family, Aaron, the Twinkies, and Henry. That's five of us, five chairs in that big chingone, and uh, we shot a doe. I shot a doe. And the kids just—they uh, had a heck of a good time. They made all kinds of noise. I don't—I I can't believe we even saw a deer, but we did. And that goes back to the big chingone keeping us high, dry, and uh, somehow out of earshot from those tail. It's got carpet. It's got cup holders. It's got it all. It's the Taj Mahal of deer blinds. You can find the big chingone at allseasonspeeders.com. We'll be right back with more from Dallas Safari Club Executive Director Corey Mason. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. My old friend's got an easy kind of style A wandering soul and a welcome home smile And I can't imagine how it might have been Growing up without my old friend in the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000.
4: Hi, this is Larry Weiss, you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
0: Come back down, the name of that one there. The latest from Flatland Calvary, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. We are are knee-deep in it with DSC Executive Director Corey Mason breaking down this uh, Cecil bill proposed by uh, Arizona Congressman Grijalva. A known anti-hunter who, uh, as Corey alluded to earlier, is attempting to take wildlife management out of the hands of every state and national wildlife agency and transfer it to some council that he has just come up with out of the blue. Uh, It's absolutely insane, but it is extremely dangerous, and we're going to get back into it here in just a second. Uh, But first, this segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land... That's the one thing they're not making any more of, friends, but we all want it, right? I know I do. So if you're ready to take that next step and make your dream a reality, whether you want land for running cattle, recreating, hunting, fishing, or just to get the hell out of the big city, go to LoneStar at Credit.com. They'll get you sorted out. Uh, With that being said, let's get back into it here with our old friend Corey Mason. And Corey, uh, appreciate you sticking around through the break. I do want to ask you, though, is this the most dangerous piece of legislation that you've seen in your career in wildlife management and conservation?
1: I would say that it, yes, and I would say a little bit further than that, it has the opportunity to be one of the most harmful to uh, native wildlife species and their associated habitats uh, that has certainly been introduced in the last uh, X number of years for sure. It is, the repercussions of this particular bill are uh, very, very significant uh, worldwide.
3: Can you give me an example of why it, that is your opinion? Like, what, give me a species in Africa, just any species, and explain why this bill would have a damning effect on that animal if it was passed.
1: Absolutely. So so great question. So, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years in which elephant imports have essentially been uh, all but canceled at this point in time. And so what that has done is that has absolutely derailed the management of elephant uh... in many african countries and specifically associated with that and then what that means is the conservation value if you will the the value of those particular animals to uh... to african wildlife conservation has reduced exponentially orders of magnitude in which now those uh... the ability to tolerate the ability to manage for those species is essentially non-existent at this point in time because uh... hunters that, that choose to pay very large sums of money to go experience africa and to hunt an African elephant now, do not have the ability to bring those trophies home should they choose to do so. Mm-hmm. And so that elephant in the past that, you know, obviously those prices range tremendously from 35000 to to $100,000. Those dollars are not coming to and going into African wildlife conservation. And so one of the very first things that is removed whenever hunters' dollars are not coming into a hunting concession is anti-poaching. Nearly every pH over there in concession holder will tell you that when they do not have dollars that are flowing into concessions in the sense of hunting some of the large charismatic species, elephants, lions, and leopards, etc the first thing that they quit funding because they don't have the dollars to fund it is anti-poaching. And so obviously that results in the indiscriminate killing of everything, uh, you know snares traps etc the anti-poaching units are not on the landscape
3: i always like and listening to ivan carter talk about this topic because yeah he's he's yeah. on the ground and, and lives it day in and day out and uh i mean that's exactly what he says you know
1: yeah and, and then secondarily those that live and coexist with these wildlife species for example the farmer that has a you know a half acre maize crop that's his whole existence uh, when that elephant comes in and tramples his crop he has no chance for uh, financial restoration of that, uh, now he's willing to put a bullet in that elephant somewhere just to make it run off. Uh, that elephant has no value to him or her mm-hmm. uh, versus the elephant that has value, and if his crop is lost, he has a return knowing that an elephant is hunting. Dollars, a significant dollars associated with that will come back to the local community. So in the absence of hunting, those animals essentially have no value to rural Africans, to use that example.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's uh, we had an interesting conversation with D uh, S C Foundation Executive Director, our good friend Richard Cheatham, uh, I think it was probably six weeks or so ago, and we talked in depth about Botswana's, just the nightmare that they're dealing with. It's, it's that situation you just outlined playing out over and over again with the farmers who are losing their hineys to these elephants, and they have no recourse. And why are, why are there so many elephants? Well, because in 2014, they banned the trophy hunting of elephants. And, uh, and now you've got 120,000 elephants in a country that can support, I think he said, 50 to 60,000 was their carrying
1: capacity. That's right. That's exactly right. And that, and that story can be told across Zim in which the elephant population right now is at least double carrying capacity. And, and so I think those kinds of blind, blind, broad statements really show someone's intent that if they really were concerned about the wildlife species associated with those habitats, that they would look at means and methods that could create revenue to go directly back into the management of those systems. When you look at an elephant that has the ability to to absolutely destroy, that would require decades and decades of time of recovery if elephants were absent to recover those habitats in the sense of all the way down to bird species and reptile species in which overstories are removed and soil moisture decreases and soil temperature increases and it results in increased erosion. All of these biological things that occur – when elephant populations are 200 to 300 percent carrying capacity, it results in massive habitat destruction, and yet people aren't willing to address those problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's it's a requirement. We have to do something with elephant numbers. Why would we not manage those species in a way that would return dollars back to those systems and local people?
3: Oh, it's Corey. It's because they're too big. You can't. They're too big to manage. You know. I mean, they're yeah. too cute. And why would you want to manage something that's so big? It's kind of like grizzly bears or any of these other. Uh, megafauna species you know yep. um, but in and the worst part about that is that now Botswana is going to shoot them and turn them into dog food because they just can't you know, they don't have they're so far behind that even like this culling proposal um, we'll see how it works out but that's their current plan
1: absolutely that's exactly right because because then you know in another thing you see is you see people from the Western world the United States that are willing to write a petition to tell the president of Botswana that he is wrong in his decisions to manage wildlife species commensurate with the desires of his people and the desires of his habitat. Now, you tell me how arrogant that is. It's unbelievable.
3: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so to sum this thing up, (laughs) uh, Congressman Grijalva thinks that he knows better than not only U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, but every other foreign country on how they should manage their wildlife. Uh, It's just, like you said, it is a slap. In the face of epic proportions, and I don't know where this stands currently as far as the legislative process. Where Where are we at right now?
1: So the bill's been introduced. It really hasn't gone anywhere at this point in time. Uh, but the bill has been, you know, introduced in committee. Uh, and where we are as far as the conservation community as well is massive uh, awareness. Uh, providing information associated with this bill and its unintended consequences to those that truly have a concern about wildlife conservation to many, many key uh, stakeholders and and policymakers.
3: Isn't it alarming? So the first time something like this gets introduced, it, it pretty much people hear about it and then it just kind of fades away. But every time something like this comes back, more people start to support it.
1: That's exactly right, and more people that have been behind it stay behind it. You know, they'll sort of play it off as well. Oh, this is that bill that was introduced a couple of years ago. It didn't go anywhere, but you get people behind it, and you get people behind it, and you know, you, the next thing you know, you get a few uh, key people to co-sponsor the bill, and uh, and it has legs under it. And uh, yeah, that's exactly right. The more times it's introduced, obviously, uh, it continues to have a greater chance of, of moving and moving and moving. And so, clearly, it will be our sole intent to make sure that it doesn't.
3: Well, and I give this example. You you look at California and how right now there's a bill introduced in California to uh, make it illegal to take bobcats. No harvest, no trapping, no hunting. You go back to the 90s, they outlawed mountain lion hunting. And then around 2011 or 2012, they outlawed hunting of bobcats and black bear with hounds. And now, here we are seven years later, and it's just piece by piece. Now we're going to make it illegal to harvest a bobcat altogether.
1: That's exactly right. We saw the same thing in British Columbia. So we bounce all around North America from New Jersey to California to the southeast, and we move up just north into one of our Canadian provinces that is one of the most beautiful landscapes in the world in British Columbia where their, their government allowed, not based on science, not based on even essentially public sentiment, uh, but based on the desire to simply kill the hunt for grizzly. And the week I was there, the same groups have moved forward legislation to try to prohibit the take of lynx and mountain lion, so it's piece by piece and bite at a time. And again, sort of the anti-hunting community is showing us their game plan. Their game plan is to do it legislatively because they're not effective by arguing logic or common sense because that's clearly shown to not, you know, not be the truth. So now it's legislative action.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Corey, earlier you mentioned the Center for Biological Diversity, an organization that obviously I take tremendous issue with. It's uh, it's fake. Everything that they represent is predicated on lies and, and emotion. They just, um, I just saw this. I think it was posted on Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation's page, but they are trying to sue, I think it's the feds. Um, you might know more about it than me, but they're, they're, they're trying to sue in order to have grizzlies reintroduced into 12 other states, not including the ones they're already in. Texas, I laughed at this, was on that list. Could you imagine in a fractured landscape, that's 98% privately owned. Where in the hell are they going to put grizzly bears in Texas?
1: You know? You know, isn't that funny? It's based on this sort of this nirvana concept that, that everything would live according to each other. And I, I don't think that they would even really think that a, that a predator would eat something else. You know, they sort of have that kind of a uh, naive view of the world. But, uh, yeah, you know, when you look at their uh, – I would challenge anybody to go look at what their, their staff roster looks like. Their staff is a team of attorneys, and all they do is sue people uh, to create these sort of debacles in the court systems and to absolutely grind things to a halt. And so every action they take as an organization is designed to not be pro-conservation, pro-wise use. Rather, it is really to just throw wrenches and in, in, in cogs and in things, and it, it just creates chaos, and it keeps the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service from being effective because mm-hmm. they spend all their time fighting these brush fires with folks like this.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, they're 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 winning on some level because I still don't have that buck, but maybe one of these days, you know. <laughs> that's it. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Until then, it'll just sit over in South Africa and storage. But uh, that's just a microcosm, you know. It's not not really that big of a deal compared to what we are facing uh, with just just this kind of uh, broad sweeping legislation. Uh, this this bill that's been proposed here. When I read it and then watched the video, I was just like, "Goodness gracious, this is." Like you said, this is the worst one I've ever seen. So Yep. Yeah. Very
1: scary. We got people that have to pay attention, be awake. Obviously we'll be communicating messages through our strong partners such as you, Cable, getting information out and calling people to action whenever it's appropriate time.
3: Well, Corey, we certainly appreciate it. Obviously love everything that D S C stands for and that uh I don't I don't wanna say D S C well yeah I do. D S C is not afraid to get their hands dirty. I mean that's the thing is I, I see so many um I, what I would call other conservation groups and, and even individuals within the hunting community that don't want to touch this kind of stuff. And it just, to me, that's almost as frustrating as what we're facing with, you know, facing every day from the antis. Um, but I applaud DSC for always getting out in front of it. And, and there's something to be said for making people aware, you know, I mean, who else is going to do that? So
1: Well, that's it. That's what we're here for, we're you know, awareness, and then we'll be fighting the fight as well. So we appreciate the support greatly.
3: Yes, sir. Well, we will do it again uh, sometime very soon,
0: I'm sure, Corey.
1: Sounds great. Have a great day, Cable. Thank you much.
0: All right. Our longtime friend and Dallas Safari Club Executive Director, Corey Mason, breaking down the proposed CECIL Act. Uh, bad, bad news. Hopefully, uh, we can get that thing squashed and uh, DSC so instrumental in keeping tabs on and in shedding light on these proposed regulatory changes that you know, if passed, like the C-select would impact wildlife management across the globe in a uh, in a negative, extremely negative way. I mean, could signal the end for conservation as we know it, uh, specifically in Africa. Uh, that segment of the show, by the way, was proudly brought to you by John X Safaris. Hey, I'm headed to John X to hunt for the third year in a row in South Africa's Eastern Cape. I'll be doing it again. In 2020, I think I might hunt Cape Buffalo. Uh, if you want to join me, you don't have to hunt Cape Buffalo, but if you want to go for Plains game, uh, Buffalo, yeah, whatever you want to do, uh, you should think about joining me on that trip. For more information, send me an email, Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. We will be right back with an interesting fellow, a young man by the name of Ethan West, who is currently kayaking from Telephone, Texas, all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. It's over a 500-mile journey. Uh, why is he doing this, and what's that experience been like so far? We discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoors Show.
1: have been my wheels. I've been wasting my time. Tried everything I know just to get you off my mind.
4: My home They're
1: locked in a safe There's a metal gun case We live in an area That's wooded, somewhat secluded And I've said, Jill, if there's ever A problem, just walk Out on the balcony And fire two blasts Outside the house By shotgun
0: By shotgun You don't need machine Gun, you need third Shotgun. <laughs> that is the the uh the spoof or the uh, what is that thing? Auto-tuned version of Joe Biden's famous uh, "Buy a Shotgun, You Don't Need an AR" speech, uh, where he advises his wife, "If anyone comes to the house, fire two blasts out on the balcony, and you'll scare them away." Yeah, you've also just spent your only two shells you had. <laughs> your gun. Great advice, Joe. Who recently, I guess, was it a couple weeks ago, announced he's running for president as well? Ah, goodness, goodness me! I'm Cable Smith. Thank you to whoever created that. They're they're a genius. Uh, you can see the whole thing or listen to the whole thing on my Instagram page. By the way, uh, also on Facebook. And thanks to you guys and gals for being here today. You're tuned into the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Thanks to Dallas Safari Club, our title sponsor as well. Um, we're about to visit with uh, an interesting fellow, a young man by the name of Ethan West, who currently is somewhere on a 500-mile kayaking trek that originated at the headwaters of the Llano River and will eventually dump him out into the Gulf of Mexico. I, I heard about this. Um, I can't remember wh- where. Someone sent me a link to it uh, about, this, about Ethan's story, and I was totally fascinated and was thinking, man, if I didn't have wife and kids and, you know, responsibility, this would be something I'd like to do. So uh, let's live vicariously through Ethan here in just a second as he's set to join us. But first, uh, this segment is brought to you by Lone Star Beer. I'm sure that's something that Ethan wishes he had a couple cold ones uh, to enjoy throughout this journey. Hell, I know I'd love a couple Lone Stars after paddling 20-plus miles in a day. No doubt about that. (laughs) Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Okay. Well, let's bring him on right now joining us from somewhere on some river in Texas. It's my pleasure to welcome adventurer, kayaker, angler and uh, outdoorsman Ethan West to the show. Thanks for being here, man.
4: Oh yeah, it's uh it's you know, I'm super happy to be on the show. Tell me a little bit about yourself
3: and we're going to talk about this adventure that you're on right now, this journey. But before we do that, I want to know a little bit about you as an outdoorsman so, because I don't think, uh, just some random person says, Hey, I think I'm going to kayak from, you know, one side of Texas to the, uh, to the other (laughs) end up at the ocean.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you got
3: some outdoor background, I'm sure.
4: Uh, oh yeah, I do. Uh, I would say, you know, me and my brother, we're, uh, we're big, uh, hunters and fishermen, you know, mostly for whitetail and, uh, you know, turkey, stuff like that. Mm Um, I would say more so for whitetail in the hill country area. You know, we grew up, Lano County, Mason County, Gillespie County, in that area. Uh, big fishermen, too. And, you know, just kind of small town stuff. Uh, and I wouldn't really just, you know, narrow down our outdoors interest just to, you know, fishing and hunting. Mm-hmm. Like one thing we're into is arrowhead hunting. And so, you know, there's a wide array of things we've always pursued. Uh, we, we would go canoeing and fishing quite a bit because we would hit, you know, rivers such as the Pernalus and things, which is, you know, you could put a boat on, but it really wouldn't work out.
3: Yeah. And well, I'm no stranger to there, the, uh, the portage type stuff. We've done quite a few trips <laughs> oh, up to, uh, the, um, boundary waters. And we've done it in Montana. Yeah. I'm, excuse me, not Montana, uh, Minnesota, and also in uh, Ontario. And so, yeah, I mean, you get you you paddle through one lake, you get to the next one, and but there's a land bridge. You know, you yeah. got to freaking hump your canoe and all your gear over there. Sometimes it's a, a couple hundred yards. Sometimes it's a half a mile. Yeah, so.
4: Well, I tell you what, I've done some canoeing up in uh, up in Canada too, mm-hmm. and I tell you what, it's a whole different. Lifestyle because you know, whether you're hunting or fishing, now you are your own unit traveling by you, and whether or not you get there is now kind of in your own hands and how you pace yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, to tell you the truth, most of my water sport experience I say water sport, you know, like canoeing, kayaking mm-hmm. is mostly been involved with fishing. Uh, I would say around two years ago. I'm not a huge hiker, uh, but I decided to do the Appalachian Trail. It's something I wanted to do. I wanted to see. I read a lot of books on the Appalachian Trail. I had never, not really done much hiking, and I thought it would also be a good way to acquire some knowledge. So later, you know.
3: Did you read I A Walk in the Woods? Everybody,
4: uh, yes, I have read A Walk in the Woods. Yeah,
3: I read that uh, Read that one. That was a good read on the Appalachian Trail.
4: I uh The one I fell in love with was, uh, it's called AWOL on the trail. And uh, there was a 40-year-old computer tech guy that he had no hiking experience. He worked as, you know, kind of this software, you know, nerdy guy in a cubicle. He just took all that and he dumped it. And then he went and he hiked the Appalachian Trail. And I think everybody's able to relate to that. (laughs) You know, he's kind of the underdog and he made, you know, he made the whole way. So, uh-huh. uh, and I was able to acquire a lot of like ultralight backpacking uh, experience. And it sounds kind of silly, you know, just because somebody thinks it's the cool in thing, like there's a fad or whatever, I won't accept it as something that I use, but I am a very practical guy. Uh, and so I, I kind of try to do a lot of these things to acquire moments when someday I'll be able to load up and go elk hunting by myself, or I'll be able to go load up and go, you know, hunting for mule deer and I'll be fine. Uh, I think there's a big thing to be said to go out there and as a outdoorsman go seek knowledge, like arrowheads in order to find, like, and I say arrowheads, uh, Indian artifacts in general, the different Mm -hmm. tools Indians would use and such. In order to find an area to find those things, you have to look at your landmarks, like different creek inlets, like how they come together. Like, what do you look for in a camp? You are tracking other men from a prehistoric era. You know, anything that, you know, where you keep on learning, I think is a big thing in the outdoors. You know, you learn more about what you're pursuing and you learn more about you know the outdoors in general no. uh,
3: well, i mean I, basically I guess, that's why we have this show right i mean people who this, want interesting content related to the outdoors whether it makes them a better hunter or angler or backpacker or if they just want something yeah. something they didn't know about like uh, hey here's this guy ethan he's uh, kayaking across texas so let's talk to him and figure out what Why the hell did he want to do that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's cool. Maybe Uh, I want to do that, you know? It's something different.
4: Well, I kind of think with the whole, I think, hopping in a river and paddling it to the ocean, I have speak with many people, especially on this trip, a lot of guys, that they've all sat around the porch and they've talked about it uh, and they've wanted to do it. You know, I think it's something, if you ever grew up around a river and you think about it actually going all the way to the ocean, it's kind of been on everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. And the few people, as far as I know, there's five people, no, six, and I've learned about, there's a new uh, three people I learned of on this trip that have done it. Uh, None of them have wrote anything about it or recorded anything about it. Um, like the first three guys to do it were three 18 year olds and they hopped in at Ballinger, Texas in 1937, all in a canoe. You know, they didn't have a map wow. and basically they were, you mean they
3: didn't a have a Garmin? To <laughs> no,
4: nothing. No GPS. And, yeah. Yeah. And you know, these are three 18 year old kids, you know, and the reason they paddled to the ocean that summer is they didn't want a summer job. And I think that's a adventurous spirit Smart. that a lot of us have, and uh, and then there's a few other people in modern times that have done it. Now, I didn't start in Ballinger; I started up in a place called Telegraph, Texas, which is there's three houses in a sign that says Telegraph. Telegraph right. was a place. Uh, I've driven through that. It. They would. Oh, oh, you have. Oh, yeah. You know why it's called Telegraph? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Heck, um, uh, they used to cut the telegraph line or poles to run telegraph lines out there. Is what they used to do. And, uh, heck, what do you call it? Um uh, their population topped at fifty-six. I I would say about thirty or forty years ago.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so, what, but, uh, what river are you putting in a, in on right there?
4: Uh, that would be the Llano. Uh huh. So, I paddled the entirety of the Llano, got through it, and it merged with uh, the Highland Lakes, and that would have been on Lake LBJ. Okay. And then I've traveled down the chain of lakes from there. So you have LBJ, uh, you have Lake Austin, Travis. uh, There's like five different little lakes you pass through, but you come through Austin, uh, and then you officially get back on the Colorado Below Longhorn Dam,
3: you go through Town Down Lake back. there in Austin. Uh
4: oh yeah, you go through there. You go through downtown
3: Austin. Yeah yeah, uh, I bass fish Town Lake. That uh, that place is a little hidden gem. There's you're and it's so cool because, you know, I'm not a big fan of let's just say uh, liberal cities like Austin, but it's cool to be sitting oh, no. right there, on that lake as the sun is setting and be looking at the capital while you're bass fishing and all you know all the skyscrapers and everything else in downtown Austin. Uh, it's a pretty neat well, experience yeah
4: and heck sitting there with uh what would you call it with congress across and if you time it the right time of year the bats and everything mm-hmm. uh you're just sitting there you're going man this is what it's about and what i have loved about this trip is i went all the way up to a spot where the spring is pouring out of a rock and I have traveled to a place like Austin where there's skyscrapers and there's ample amounts of water. Uh, like I have seen from one end of the spectrum, and hopefully, you know, if I make it all the way down to the Gulf, I'll get to see it all the way to the ocean. And the variety of what you get to see is unbelievable. And what I've been doing every day is I've been journaling what I see, you know, when I wake up, what I hear, what, uh, And that may sound kind of odd, but, like, when you're on these trips, like, you don't always sleep all the way through the night. Like, uh, three or four nights ago, I woke up to a siren. Like, there's an ambulance passing by. And, you know, I'm in the Austin area, you know, suburbs and Mm -hmm. such. And you would think it'd be dogs that would have started to howl. Well, a large pack of coyotes that were present in the park where I was camping at, they started to howl at the siren. Uh,
3: Mm.
4: Which you know, a lot of people be horrified. I thought it was pretty cool. Right. Um,
3: so you're tent camping and, you know, most I, nights, right?
4: Oh yeah. Uh, so in the state of Texas, you can camp in the spillway, uh, if a river is navigable and, uh, most creeks are navigable as well. And so, uh, as long as you are kind of the unwritten rule is as long as you're kind of behind the vegetation line, you're good. Um, uh, So I've been camping on things like islands, sandbars, uh, places where the bank, you know, doesn't kind of cap off. Mm -hmm. And uh, now in some areas, I'll hold out until I get to a park. Uh, Like below Austin, you know, the LCRA lets water out uh, quite a bit. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
4: you got to camp up higher. Uh, And then I've had a few hailstorms and stuff, so when one of those is coming in, you try to get to some structure of some sort. Um, and so there's all sorts of challenges that are presented. What um, about food? You know,
3: Wait, for, oh, Actually, uh, let me back up. So how long total did you pre- predict this trip would take? And how many miles is it? And then how do you feed yourself?
4: Okay. So I, I predicted that it'd take about a month or so. Uh-huh. Um, what I did on my mileage, I made a big mistake. So I used, uh, I used a website where you're able to plot mileage and go down. And so you set waypoints. And so what I did, I started on one end and I went to the other.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And when you do that, there's a percentage of error that develops to where, like, let's say you cut the corner off at the bend of a river by accident and you don't go through and replot it out. Well, whatever that, Mileage was there's a percentage – there's a amount of mileage you miss to where the further you go down the river as you're plotting and mapping this thing, uh, there's a bigger margin of error to where I have the mileage marked at 547.1 miles, mm. and I can tell that my numbers are fairly accurate, but it's no mapping system. Now, the nice thing about Texas – is that you get service wherever you go? Like, if you don't have service in a riverbed, go find a high point and you'll get it. You know, you're not out in the boom Yeah, Texas is pretty flat compared to other states, and so I'm able to use uh, Google Maps and all that to kind of figure out about how far I have to go. Mm-hmm. And the reason I mentioned all that—that's how I've used. Uh, that's how I figure out the mileage in between cities. You know, roundabout. To estimate what my food is you know will need to be I'm camping fairly light for a kayak camper uh, so I'm hauling three uh, lithium battery banks with me and they're like the biggest batteries you can buy Okay, uh, it's so, quite a bit so
3: but you I'm, I'm like only... so there's no grocery stores on these rivers so like how are you re-upping your food supply
4: so It's been a combination of people resupplying me. But what I've mostly done is I'll stop at a town. You know, when I hit a river town, Uh I'll walk to uh, the grocery store is what I'll do. And then I'll go buy stuff from like an HEB, a Dollar General, something like that. Uh Uh, Now, people look at me like I'm crazy because I walk in, I'm all sunburned. I'm all scaly looking. (laughs) And they, you know, and I stink and they go what the heck is this? And they go, It's a homeless man. And they're looking at me and <laughs> and then, then they see I have a phone and I have money and I have like okay stuff with me. So they're just looking at me perplexed like, What is this thing? Yeah. And but anyway, so yeah, I've been I've been restocking food along the way because you can't you couldn't haul that much food with you. And I'm eating stuff like uh there's these things that you can buy at Walmart. They are literally called rice sides, and they come in like a multiple different flavors. It's what thru-hikers use, you know, Appalachian Trail walkers sure. and stuff. It's what they use for their main meals. Like throughout the day, I wake up, I cook myself breakfast, and I eat after breakfast little meals all throughout the day. And it's just like, you know, uh, like things with salt, sugar in it. You know, depending on how I'm feeling is what I'll feed myself. Mm -hmm. And I'll eat many little meals throughout the day. And then when I get to the last one, I'll cook myself up like a rice side. And then when I hit pounds is when I kind of stack up on protein. Like I'll go have a burger somewhere before I go to bed. That way when I sleep, you know, there's a large amount of protein, you know, in like a burger. So it'll build your muscles back up. Uh, I have a – I'm a tall, skinny guy to where If I go, you know, wear down my muscles and all that, what my body will do is it will take that muscle, instead of digging into maybe the little amount of fat I have, it'll take it from my legs, or all the muscles I'm not using, Mm. and it will stack it, you know, like I don't gain weight, I just shift it, you know, in different proportions, and so...
3: um, That's it, I mean, this is much like, you mentioned backcountry elk hunting someday, and I've got... Uh, I wouldn't say like a ton of experience, but, um, I've had success, you know, in the back country with a yeah. bow, um, and, and pretty polished, you know, backpacker. And the thing about those trips is you have to eat all the time and you, you can't, you get home and it's probably like you at the end of the day, I'm sure you're just spent. Um, and it's almost, luckily you have ham, you know, Hey, I'm going to go grab a burger and a beer or whatever. Uh, up there it's like, Oh, crap. Who who has the energy to even cook dinner? And, you know, it's like draw straws just to see. Usually yeah. we plan it out ahead, you and your buddy, you know. Say, okay, it's your, yeah. you're up, bud. So just keep that in the back of your mind because you're making me dinner tonight.
2: Because, <laughs> I mean, you're <laughs> you know so something. whipped and you
3: don't want to do anything but just get in your bag and just close your eyes. And everything hurts, oh, yeah. you know. I mean, it's uh, – but you've got to refuel. One of the things I eat constantly is peanut butter on a tortilla with bacon that I've pre-cooked. Yes. You know. Yes.
4: That. Yeah. Tons you of know, calories, uh,
3: fat, all of it. When
4: you, yeah, when you go on one of those trips, what you're doing, you, you kind of operate it like a job. Like you enjoy the whole trip, yes, but what you're doing throughout the trip, you're kind of on a routine and you're making yourself do these things. Um, like every night I make myself something to eat. Like, you know, I'll sit there and I'll go, oh, I should just go to sleep. No, I can't. Because the next day, you know, I won't be 100%. Yeah, And you really learn on these type of trips a lot about who you are. Um, and I believe that you strengthen your resolve quite a bit. Uh, and I think that's like to link it back up to what we were talking about earlier. That's what the outdoors is about. It's about kind of expanding your knowledge and who you are as a person and then striving for better. And,
3: uh, can I hack it? That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Always ask yourself, can I hack it? Yeah. You might cut out for this, you know, in the most extreme conditions, do you have the mental fortitude and the, and the, and the metal to get through it? You know? And like you said, why would anyone walk the Appalachian trail? Well, for that exact reason, can I hack it?
4: Exactly.
0: Well, Ethan, let's do this, man. I still have a few more questions for you specifically. I know you use the a type of stove that I'm not familiar with, but certainly want our listeners to hear about how you've been cooking your meals, uh, on the river. Uh, also your water purification system and then any other like gearhead type tips that, uh, you can offer up for, I mean, shoot a week in the backcountry is nothing compared to, uh, five weeks on, on the river. Now I know you can stock up and stuff, but, uh, that's not always the case. So, uh, are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes?
4: Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be here. I'll be ready to go.
0: Excellent, my friend. Uh, that segment, by the way, was probably brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. Check out the new Pulsar Thermion. This is a, th- well, it's a rifle scope, thermal rifle scope that fits on any 30-millimeter rings. So if you've already got those in place on your bolt-action rifle, this is the scope for you. That's it. I mean, Pulsar listens to what the people want, and that's what they give them. So... In addition to the trail lineup and the core, we've got the thermian Check it out. You can find it at pulsarnv.com. We'll, we'll be right back with more from kayaker Ethan West on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
2: I felt the lights on the big, big stages. A fire burning in my soul. I had those nights where my guitar was raging.
0: It's not something you control, oh darling. It's not something you. Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them Cable sent you. If you wanna feel rich, count everything money keep back. Can't buy me time. Can't buy true friends. Won't buy good manners. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Let Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, Thomas Michael Riley. Feel Woman. rich. The name of that tune there thank you guys for being here today certainly appreciate each and every one of you thanks to lone star beer and Hoff power polaris as well uh, we are all set to continue our discussion with adventure angler outdoorsman uh, and kayaker ethan west regarding his 500 mile journey to uh, from well the, the headwaters of the Llano river to the gulf of mexico Uh, But before we pick his brain on on some of the gear that he's used on this trip and how he sees the rest of that journey playing out, this segment is brought to you by the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Of course, I'm talking about Dallas Safari Club. And, you know, this great group of folks are are passionate about hunter's rights, education, and conservation. For more information on how to join our ranks, head over to biggame.org. We'd love to have you. All right. Uh, Well, Ethan... Thanks again for sticking around, man. L- let me ask you this as we pick things up here. Uh, as far as your water purification system, I mean, you're traveling. You've got a 500-mile journey that you're on, and I imagine you're not packing all of your water in a kayak. So talk about your filtration system that you, you've you been using on this trip.
4: So when I was on the Lano, I will say this, that I've never really thought much of the Lano, but I can say this. It is a pure Queen river. Like, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, when I got below Austin, it's total cesspool. From, <laughs> you know, I hate to say it like that, but you get below Longhorn Dam, and you will see stuff that you thought you would only see on Halloween, mm. okay? <laughs> you know, swimming around there in the water. Uh, when I got below Austin, I carry a water filter and some water treatment tablets, and this sounds ridiculous. Up on the Llano, I would just filter my water from springs. I would catch on the way down. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think much of it. When I got past Austin, what I have done is I've marked out all my parks that I hit. And I hit parks up and I steal from, you know, like a sink or something or something like that. And then, you know, I'll have my filter, I already have it on the bottle. I don't I don't filter that water. I've been packing my water since Austin.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: But I do have the option where when I run out, I'll be able to filter and then purify it. And I use a, what I use for my water system. I have three smart water bottles, and then there's a Walmart Sawyer Squeeze that goes on top of it. Uh, in my opinion, so far from what I've used, it's probably you can drink that water now. Like if you have a, a water filter that you got to hang up, well, you hang it up and then you got to sit there and wait, yeah. you know, uh, which is not handy. You know, it sounds like a good idea. Like, Oh, while well, I'm at camp, I'm doing other things. Hang this water up, filter it. Well,
3: Yours, your water's purified as you squeeze it into your mouth.
4: Yeah. There, there. you go. Yeah. And, My uh, buddy
3: had one of those I'm, on our last elk trip and I was like, I'm getting one of those for next year. Cause I've you know, yeah. I use the iodine tablets and, uh, you still have to wait like ten minutes, but or even for the uh, oh, what is the name of that? Uh, oh, like Mira something, Aquamira Mira uh, drop. Yeah, Aquamira. you still have to wait yeah. ten minutes or whatever it is, uh, and and you can kind of taste it in the water. Now, if you just use that, as I, I said, Chisholm, let me taste that. And you know, I, I was really just thirsty and wanted yeah. instant gratification to quench my thirst, and so I grabbed his squeeze bottle. And oh, man, that is that's pretty nice. I'm a, <laughs> certainly a big fan of that.
4: You know, the only time I worry about water sources, and this sounds ridiculous, is when there's been other humans near it.
2: Mm-hmm. You
4: know, like mm-hmm. that's the that's the only time I really start worrying. Uh, like on the trail, like it was all the dang all the, all the dang uh, water sources that were near people in the very beginning. Because when you start, you have tons of people who are going to walk the Appalachian Trail. By the end there are very few people who finish it Uh, to where those first few water sources you come across, there are hundreds of people using them. And they're like uh, pig styes is -hmm. what they're like. And they're carrying all sorts of stuff in them. And you would hear all the time people getting uh, sick from whatever was in the water. Mm, And, yeah, uh, of course, I can say this, the water, filtering my water and treating it and staying away from uh you know uh frequently used water sources has always kept me good. Yeah. And uh I've really liked those Sawyer squeeze ones like and you can buy them at Walmart. That's what I love. You know, I love practical things,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
4: uh for example, what I do for a stove, I have an alcohol stove which a lot of people are unfamiliar with. Um uh, a lot of people use propane, like a form of propane.
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, which, which is, man, Ryu. I tell you what, they're nice.
2: Yeah.
4: I love them, you know. Uh, which here's the deal: if you're going on like a week hunting deal, take that son of a gun. But if you're going months on end, it's then you're carry you're always carrying or you're always wondering, well, do I need to bring another thing of propane? Will I run out? Uh. What I like about my alcohol stove, I can buy standard rubbing alcohol at any gas station that I come across or any store. Like, it's a standard staple found everywhere. So I bought a standard, I forget, you know, it's, it's the big bottle of, uh, of alcohol, rubbing alcohol. I think it was the 90%. For three weeks, I've cooked on it every day. I've used that alcohol to clean camera lenses. And I've also used it to clean wounds, like little scratches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would say I just got past the halfway mark uh, yesterday. Wow. And so it's, it is super efficient. Now, it does have its drawbacks. It, uh, you know The problem with the alcohol stove, it doesn't do well in the wind. Like if it's a windy day, uh, it'll still light, it'll still go, but you're going to be burning a lot more fuel. And you got to learn how to use the sucker. But if you do, it's super efficient. I've absolutely loved it. Um, but like I said, that those are just little tokens of knowledge that you gather. And you know, all this stuff I learned from other people. And that's like the biggest thing is like listening to other, other guys and what they're doing, like you with the elk hunting. Um, uh, like you saw what one of your buddies had. No, oh, yeah. And, yeah, and you know that's something else that's big because you got to stay with the times to have the best system, and if you can have the best system, you make it the e- easiest on yourself. So it um, uh, you know it's it's been great. It um.
3: So you're I'm, journaling I'm really and open. photographing. You just said you were wiping camera lenses and stuff. So I imagine at some point you're going to put pen to paper and and try to write a book about this experience.
4: Oh yeah. Um. I am. Uh, Well, I have done this whole way. Every day, I have journaled, like all the way down to um, just all the little things, who I meet, who I interact with, uh, to where I can go back, expand on the whole thing. Oh,
3: cool. I'm going to be in a book, y'all. Did y'all hear that? On this day, (laughs) Ethan talked to the Lone Star Outdoor (laughs) Show, radio podcast interview.
4: Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, I wrote it down a few days ago that, you know, I talked at the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I wrote it down. What I'm hoping to write a book for is it's going to hit outdoorsmen such as, like I said, the arrowhead hunters, the common kayaker, the kayak fishermen, just fishermen in general, people curious about what's in Texas rivers, uh, you know, just all sorts of people. I'm sure you've because, seen a uh, lot
3: of stuff, uh, and and I know you didn't take a fishing pole because, to be, I mean, this is this is a, tr- a business trip. At the end of the day, you got to get to where you're going, and you probably stop every every place that looks nice and, and cast a line. I know I would, um, but I'm oh sure yeah. you've been GPSing these spots that you've come across.
4: Oh yeah, like um, here's a here's something that you would love to hear about. So I went down from Bass I got to see my first alligator gar huh. yesterday it did not disappoint. I was, uh, the water right now is just mud brown because they had three inches of rain about a week ago and a lot of people don't know that gar actually have a special organ that allows them to gulp air and then mix it with the water they circulate through their gills which makes them very good for low oxygen environments. That's why they do well in muddy rivers. Mm -hmm. And I was paddling, and I had about a five- or six-foot alligator gar come up about three feet over from my kayak, take a gulp of air real slowly, teeth first, come back down, and I just saw his whole back, you know, come down. It was like watching a whale beach up.
3: That's awesome.
4: Yeah, it just blew me away. And I sat there, and I thought, if I could come down here with some heavy fishing gear, (laughs) throw on like a bluegill, and hook into that, that would just be the coolest dang thing. Um, I could sit here and talk to you for hours about all the stuff I've seen and all the stuff that's happened, but, you know, I think that's why it'd be better in a book. That's That way it's actually recorded. Mm -hmm. Like I said, nobody else has really dug too far into Texas rivers. Um, With this trip, I'm using – I'm not, you know – I don't make a ton of money, you know, and I'm just a regular old guy. And so with me saying that, like, I'm using a 14-year-old kayak. Like, Mm. you know, most people be using the latest and greatest. Right. Uh, uh, And I'm not using gear that costs thousands of dollars. Uh, I'm just using common, everyday, attainable stuff. And another point I want to make is I started – 20 minutes from where I live, and I guess what I'm trying to say is if you want to go do something that could be a life-changing, you know, trip, you know, or like a once-in-a-lifetime deal, the the most ironic thing is you really don't have to go all that far or spend all that much money. On this trip, after I bought all the gear, which took about a year or so buying, which was not expensive and I've spent, I would say around less than two hundred dollars on this trip so far. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, because I'm just buying food and paddling. That's yeah. the only thing I'm doing. Uh, so it's a it's a very cheap trip. And so, if y'all guys want to seek adventure, you can go see it. You know, you don't have to go up to Colorado. You don't have to go up to Alaska. Now, one day I want to because it's sure. just, it's super <laughs> cool. Uh, but,
3: so you're, you know, you're in LaGrange, Texas now. Yes. And so how much farther do you have to go? So you're three weeks into this deal, right?
4: Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, p- today, um, uh, would mark three weeks. Um, uh, and so heck, um, uh, I think I have 140 miles to go. Like 140, I believe is what it was. I'm sure, you know, it's harder to make miles on foot than on a kayak. Oh yeah. Like, you know, I've had days where I've made 26 miles, starting at nine and then ending at like 3:30, 4 o'clock. Now I was hustling. Uh, it was actually on the Llano, yeah. where it was, uh, which there's a lot of obstacles there. You got to get out and navigate around, but you can make great time to where 140 miles. You know, if you're doing 20, 30 miles a day. You'll be done in no time. I've kind of just been cherishing the last moments. I'm hitting places that I never thought I would cherish in Texas. Like, for example, I never really thought too much about, you know, the LaGrange, the Drop area, you know, the muddy river and the green trees on the side. I never really thought of it. But I have thoroughly enjoyed this area a lot more than I ever thought I would. At the beginning of the trip, I thought that, I would enjoy the Lano, and then the rest would be work. And that has not been the case. It's been great all the way through.
3: Awesome. Awesome. So you got about maybe hey. uh, a, a week or so, maybe a little longer, before you end up in the Gulf of Mexico. And yeah. I'm sure you'll have a big party there, or at least a couple people there to to pick you up and celebrate this oh, accomplishment. Yeah. Um, folks can follow along on your... Instagram, that's where I actually, uh, someone alerted me to what you were doing. Um, what, what is your what is your page, if people want to follow along in the oh, adventure?
4: Uh, uh, so my Instagram is, uh, no guys may laugh, it's the man from Texas, and there's no numbers or anything, it's just the man from Texas, and then my name is Ethan West, and you can follow on Facebook.
3: Oops. Actually, I was, I was looking on your page today, or, or maybe it was yesterday, and there you, you found a nice deadhead. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was just buried well, in the riverbank.
4: Yeah, so what was interesting is he was caught in the flood because I looked below, there was vertebra and everything. Uh And uh, I have a few things written down from the, you know, recent floods that would just floor you. Uh, That was not the first deer I have found that's been pinned, you know, you know, in the floods.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh, The force of nature is something, you know, not to be reckoned with. But, yeah, I'm, I'm always posting stuff. Well, man. I, I really appreciate you asking me to be on the show. Yeah. It, it was a real honor.
3: Hey, it's been my pleasure, Ethan. Certainly enjoyed it, my friend. And uh, Godspeed, or actually maybe not Godspeed, but just safe travels. I know you want to soak it, soak up the last few moments of uh, of this journey. So take it all in, and, and I'll look forward to reading about it someday.
4: All right. Awesome. I'll let you know.
0: All right. Take care, man.
4: All righty. I'll see you.
0: So there go goes, Ethan West wrapping up. Well, 150 miles or so, anyway, away from wrapping up an epic adventure uh, from the Llano to being spit out in the Gulf of Mexico, 500 miles. Uh, and that was, I think, what he uh, estimated is kind of like the crow flies, not counting all the river bends. So probably more like six or 700 is kind of what he said there. Uh, truly an epic adventure. And I don't know which I'm more jealous of that or hiking the Appalachian Trail. They both sound awesome. Uh, but that's what Ethan's up to. Hope y'all enjoyed that discussion. And that segment was brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Josh and Becky Gunther, my good friends, have been doing all of my taxidermy for going on, oh gosh, I don't, who knows, eight years maybe, nine, long time. Whether it's a speckled trout, uh, European mounts, African taxidermy, they've got my wolf, my mountain lion, you name it, if I'm putting it on the wall. That's who I trust. They've got a shop in Marion, Texas, and one in San Antonio. And you can find them at grthenumber 8 mountscom Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Uh, We will do it again, same time, same place, next week. Thanks to both of our guests, DSC Executive Director Corey Mason, as well as Ethan West. Uh, Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors.
1: He said, Drifter, can you make folks cry when you play and sing?